Father in heaven, as we come to open your word, we pray that Jesus alone will be uplifted because we come in his name. Let the saints all say, Amen. Last Thursday, according to the vocational, a research organization, 40 million Americans would have traveled for Thanksgiving. The majority, 68% or 27 million, traveled by car. 11% or 4.4 million traveled by plane. And 4% or 1.6 million Americans traveled by public transportation. Yes, Greyhound is alive and well, and Amtrak and Via Rail. Overall, 91% of all American adults would have eaten Thanksgiving dinner at home or at a friend or relative's home. This equates to more than 235 million Americans. In addition, about 13 million Americans would have eaten at a restaurant, and another 9 million had their Thanksgiving while on vacation. Uh, the typical menu by this research organization, the Vacationer, says that, or it includes turkey, ham, stuffing or dressing, mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes or yams, and we're still having that debate as to is sweet potato a yam? We don't know as yet. Cranberry sauce, carrots, green bean casserole, macaroni and cheese. Did I say that correctly? No, mac and cheese. Coleslaw and pumpkin pie. Sweet potato pie. Did I say I'm giving information from the vocational, a research organization? Maybe they didn't interview or call any black folk. The question is, where was God in all of this? Of course, there will be the expected thanksgiving prayer by the patriarch or matriarch of the family. In some cases, deference is extended to the clergy or a well-respected religious family member to offer the blessing. Great care, I should note, is taken 
so that one's drunken uncle isn't given the opportunity to pray for the meal. No one wants his derisive or irreverent ramblings. Unfortunately, while there may be some speeches and testimonies as to the goodness of God, for the most part, thanksgiving is reduced to just having a good time eating and for many watching their favorite football team. This research by the vocational, interestingly, also discovered something about the Thanksgiving menu. 28% of the respondents said they disliked turkey. That's about 72 million people. Additionally, nearly 30% stated that they dislike cranberry sauce. This makes cranberry sauce the most disliked Thanksgiving food. I was in New York Thanksgiving with my mom, and they had the table, you know, we, they had the turkey, but, but this was, you know, a lot of West Indians, so they had to have roti and curry, fish, chicken, but I noticed that not many people were taking the cranberry sauce. And I thought it's because it's a group of West Indians. But, but the vacationer said that even for Americans, Thanksgiving sauce is the most disliked of all the foods for Thanksgiving. Followed by turkey, which is number second, and then by the green bean casserole. And then that is followed disliked by the pumpkin pie. Let me ask this rhetorical question. And I did say rhetorical. How many Thanksgiving celebrants do you think were eating their dinner while thinking about 1621 and the pilgrims and the Wadapanags Indians? You would recall that the pilgrims were a group of men and women who sailed from Europe to America on the Mayflower to avoid religious suppression. And here they were with the natives, Wanapanags, and they were celebrating a bountiful harvest. When you were having your Thanksgiving, were you thinking of the Indians? Were you thinking of those that came on the Mayflower? Did 1621 come to your mind? While the concept of God was dissimilar in some aspects, that is, the folk who came on the Mayflower and the Wanapanag Indians, 
Their, their concept of God was not the same. But they both embraced the view. And I have to start preaching now. They both embraced the view that they were dependent on somebody bigger than you and I. Mahela Jackson beautifully and melodiously asked the question and then gave the answer. You remember Mahela Jackson? Who made the mountains? Who made the trees? Who made the rivers that flow to the sea? And who sends the rain when the earth is dry? What did she say? Somebody bigger than what? You and I. Who made the flowers to bloom in the spring? And who made the song for the robins to sing? And who hung the moon and the stars in the sky? Everybody, somebody what? Bigger than you and I. Last Thanksgiving Thursday was the world thinking of somebody bigger than you and I. Or were we just having fun? He lights the way when the road is long. He keeps you company. And with his love to guide you, he walks beside you just like he walks with me. When I'm weary, filled with despair, who gives me courage to go on from there? And who gives me faith that will never die? Somebody bigger than you and I. Today, I want to take a few minutes on this somebody. He has a name. Some call him Elohim. God the creator. Some call him Yahweh. I am that I am. The self-existent one. Some call him Elroy. The God who sees me. Some call him El Shaddai. God Almighty. Some call him Jehovah. Lord, the eternal one, the unchangeable one, the one who was and is and is to come. Some just call him Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Muslims call him Allah, the eternal creator and the sustainer of the universe. Hindus call him Brahma. The eternal existence. Sikhs call him Wahi Guru, formless presence, one omnipresent or God who's everywhere at the same time. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, Moses declares, Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God is what? One Lord. This message today is not on word religions or the correct name of God. It simply wants us to focus on you, the person, and just exactly who is that somebody that is bigger than you. Where was God last Thursday? Was he just ancillary or secondary to the eating? Or was time allotted to sharing the many things for which you are thankful? Psalm 100 is a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. I'm going to ask them to put it back on the screen so we read it again before we get into the word proper. Here, the psalmist gives us seven reasons why we should praise and be thankful to God. Let us read it together. Make what? A joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with what? Gladness. Come before his presence with what? Singing. Know ye not that the Lord, he is what? God, it is he who hath what? Made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be what everybody? Thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. We're going to break down this psalm today. Seven reasons why we ought to be thankful, or seven reasons why we ought to praise God. Verse 1 and verse 2 in the psalm we just read tells us, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. First of the seven reasons we need to be thankful is simply this. We need to thank God because we can emotionally, mentally, and physically do so. Let me just stop so that you will think about what I just said. We need to praise God because we can emotionally mentally and physically do so. To make a joyful noise involves emotion. It involves emotion. And if we serve in the Lord with gladness, you can't serve if you are not cognitively in tune with what you're talking about. Mentally, you have to be in a place 
to be able to say, thank you, God. If you are in a coma or in a catatonic state, you cannot serve the Lord with gladness. And the psalmist says, we are to come before his presence. This involves movement. The paralyzed person who cannot lift an arm or a leg or move the head or any part of the body can only come before the Lord mentally. And so while we have this ability to move and to praise, we should say, thank you, God, that I can stand upright. Thank you, God, that I can move. Thank you, God, that I can come before your presence. Oh, the message translation says, on your feet now, applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter, seeing yourselves into his presence. I like that translation. Bring a gift of laughter. That involves the emotion. Some folk have some dry laughs. You may be bedridden, Pastor Shaw. You may be in a wheelchair, but I've seen Pastor Shaw laugh and smile. You can still bring your gift of laughter in spite of your physical condition. I took the time to look at Steps to Christ because some would have us believe that the God we serve, the Jesus we love, he was only the most serious of beings. From his childhood to his 33 and a half years, that he must have been just the most serious of guys around. We have been given a picture of Jesus that does not include laughter. Here, Steps to Christ, page 120. And I quote, There are many who have, er there are many who have an erroneous idea of the life and character of Christ. They think that he was devoid of warmth and sunniness. That he was stern, severe, and joyless. In many cases, the whole religious experience is colored by these gloomy views. It is often said that Jesus wept, but that he was never known to smile. Our Savior was indeed a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, for he opened his heart to all the woes of men. But though his life was self-denying and shadowed with pain and care, 
His spirit was not crushed. His countenance, his appearance, did not wear an expression of grief and repining, but ever one of peaceful serenity. His heart was a wellspring of life. And listen to what she says in concluding this paragraph. And wherever he went, he carried rest and peace, joy, and gladness. Can somebody say amen? Here is Jesus being described by the pen of inspiration. And wherever he went, some of us, wherever we go, we are so stoic. We are so serious. We look unreal. People can't relate to us. Children are afraid to come close to us because they equate Christianity and serving God with a seriousness as if we don't even know how to crack a smile. The psalmist tells us we need to come to God with laughter before his presence with joy. And to do so, we can thank God today that we can come emotionally, mentally, and physically because we can do so. Number two, the verse is, Knowing not that the Lord, he is God. Knowing not that the Lord, he is God. We need to praise him, to thank him, because he's God. There are those who worship anything but God. Here is what the psalmist says in Psalm 115, 1-8. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He had done whatsoever he had pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, Elder Wright, but they do not speak. Eyes, Elder Perry, they have, but they see not. They have ears, Elder Mark, but they hear not. Noses have they, Elder Young, but they smell not. They have hands, Elder Lyle, but they handle not. Feet have they, Elder Martin, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So everyone that trusteth in them, everyone that trusteth in them, so that is like everyone that trusteth in them. Moses pronounces in God's word, written by God's own hands, when he says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. 
It's amazing. It's amazing. But we need to praise God because he's God. It's kind of sad that somebody would make something with their own hands and then turn around and worship the very same thing. Idols are dead. And they that worship idols are also spiritually dead. We need to praise God because we can emotionally, mentally, and physically do so. And we need to praise God just because he is God. Can somebody say amen? However, our God, the true living God, is very much alive. He's not dead. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Isaiah 6, 1 through 3, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain, he covered his face, and with twain, he covered his feet, and with twain, he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, what, everybody? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I say to us today that every day should be a day of thanksgiving. No matter what is wrong in your life, today, the Lord is God. No matter who occupies 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, the Lord is God. No matter who occupies 10 Downing Street, the Lord is God. No matter what is going wrong in your life, the Lord is God. We need to praise God also, number three, because the text says, it is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We may have many obligations in this life, but our first obligation is to God. Let me say that again. He made, therefore he owns. You are not your own. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. He made us, therefore we have an obligation to him. The logic is simple. He's our creator. I wouldn't be here you wouldn't be here if it weren't for the wonderful God who created us. 
and the human body that he created is marvelous indeed. Psalm 139, 13 and 14 says, For thou hast possessed my reins and hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will what? Praise thee. Why? For I am what? Fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And that my soul know it right well. We need to praise God because he hath made us. Number four. The psalmist says, we are his people. So we need to praise God because we belong to him. Now, when the psalmist wrote this, Israel wasn't exactly living righteously. As a nation, they were cutting up in more ways than one. But God's claim on them was not because of who they were, but because of who he is. Let me say that again. When God says that they, Israel, were his people, Israel was not exactly living right. But God's claim wasn't based on them. It was based on who he is. The same is true for us today. But we must remember Jesus meeting Nicodemus one night. He had an encounter with him. And what did Jesus say to Nicodemus? He what? Must be what? Born again. Watch this. Adam created the problem for us. You had nothing to do with what Adam did, but you, as a result of Adam's sin, sin came to what? All men. Jesus, as a result of what he did, we can be made righteous in him, but like Nicodemus, we must be born again. So we are his people by creation, and we are his people by redemption. Unfortunately, too many people died this death with only being God's children by creation. Let me pause to say that again. Not everybody who's God's by creation is going to make it in the earth made new. In that case, if it were so, everybody would be saved. But the ones who would make it are those who were God's by creation and God's by redemption. Those have to say like Nicodemus, yes to being born again. Isaiah 64, 6 through 12 says, But we all, we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. 
And there is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirred up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. We are the clay, and thou art the potter. And we all are the work of thy hand. Be not wroth very sore, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech thee, we are all thy people. The holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and our beautiful house, where our Father praised thee, is burned up with fire. And all our pleasant things are laid waste. Wilt thou refrain thyself from these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold thy peace and afflict us very sore? And Paul says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So even though we can say yes, because we are gods by creation, in order to be righteous, we, may, we must also be God by redemption. But God in his love sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins. John 1, 12 and 13 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons and daughters of God even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You were born the first time into an earthly family through Adam. We are under the condemnation of sin, but through Christ we have been redeemed. Romans 8, 15, 16 says, for he have not received the spirit of bondage to fear, but he have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So last Thursday and every day of the year, we should be celebrating that we are God's children. Then we are told, we praise God because Jesus is our shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd. We are told we are the, his people and the sheep of his pasture. John 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. What is the job of the good shepherd? The job of the shepherd is to take care of the sheep. That is exactly what Jesus does. He takes care of the sheep. But this same Jesus said in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, 
and they follow me. In other words, it's easy for us to say we are his sheep, but do we hear his voice and do we follow him? When we have some time, we can go and read the 23rd Psalm again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restored my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and what everybody, mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yes. We praise God because Jesus is the good shepherd. Then number six. The text says, for the Lord is good. Verse five, Psalm 100. The Lord is good. Let me pause for a few seconds here. The Lord is good. Can somebody say amen? You receive an answer to prayer. The Lord is what? You get a raise in pay. The Lord is? A friend you've been praying for finds Christ as Savior. The Lord is? You have a family. The Lord is? You are struggling as a single parent. The Lord is still good. Truth be told, it could be worse. You have great parents, kids, grandkids. The Lord is what? You lost your job, but getting unemployment. The Lord is? You lost your job. And not collecting unemployment, but you're still eating, the Lord is. Your spouse divorces you. Your children despise you, the Lord is. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will what? Take me up. The Lord is good. No matter what happens to you, whatever happens, the Lord continues to be good. So even though you may not have been fortunate to be with others last Thursday, laughing and talking and eating, maybe all you had was a piece of bread and some water and you are by yourself you are breathing so the Lord is good no matter what happens to us we need to get to a place in our lives that we are so 
under the influence of God that we can simply leave everything in his hands. Too many Americans, too many of us go to bed at night and cannot sleep but just for two hours. Too many Americans have to reach for a bottle to get something so they can sleep. I say get with Jesus and you're going to sleep like a baby. Please don't text me and tell me about the wonders of medicine and insomnia and what medicine. That's not what I'm talking about. I am saying that we need to stop being anxious. We need to stop worrying. And when we do that, we will recognize, like Paul says, in whatever state I find myself, I learn to be there with content. The Lord is good. And when you close your eyes of clay, even when that happens, the Lord is still good because John tells us, Blessed are they who what? Die in the Lord. Because when you close your eyes, God says, He got a home up in heaven for you. Last but not least, the text says, His mercy endureth forever. And His truth endureth to all generations. In Lamentations, the prophet Jeremiah reminds us, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not what? Consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We praise God because his mercy is everlasting. When it comes to God's mercy, his loving kindness, there is no limit. God does not run out when it comes to his mercy. Can somebody say amen? That just tickles me. It, it just it comes to me because everybody has a limit of kindness. Everyone has a boiling point and a breaking point. But God's mercy has no limit. And even when God puts an end to this wicked world, it would be an act of mercy. Because he would not allow us to suffer eternally. That's an act of mercy when Jesus says it's finished. God is not Dr. Kavurkian. But he has no pleasure in the everlasting suffering of his children. The psalmist says... The truth, the Lord's truth, endures to every generation. That word in the Hebrew translated truth is also translated faithfulness. Hear me for a second. 
the word carries the idea of steadiness, of firmness, faithfulness. He's at it faithfully. What does that say about the God we serve? It says, and Moses says, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. That word truth, abundant in goodness and faithfulness. Where would we be if God were not faithful to us today? God's faithfulness. So the next time you read that psalm, Psalm 100, I want you to think of it this way. We need to thank God because we can emotionally, mentally, and physically do so. We need to thank God because He is God. We need to thank God because it is He what made us and not we ourselves. We need to thank God because we are His people. We need to praise God and to thank Him because He is the Good Shepherd. We need to thank God because He is good. We need to thank God because his mercy is everlasting and his faithfulness is without limit. So when we think of thanksgiving, let every day be a day of thanksgiving. Every day we can say, thank you, Lord, for what you have done for me and what you do for the people I love. Father in heaven, yes, there's a place for festivities. There's a place for eating and drinking. There's a place for fellowshipping. There's a place for enjoying the company of others. But remind us that we must live our lives in recognition that there is somebody bigger than you and I. May we be appreciative always to give you thanks for this breath in our nostrils. To give you thanks for these lungs that inflate and deflate. Forgive you thanks for the heart that beats, for a brain that works, for limbs that move, for a tongue that can praise, we give you thanks. Remind us that while we enjoy certain things in life, there are those who can't taste their food. There are those who can't hear. There are those who can't see. There are those who can't walk. But their mind is sharp and so they can still praise you. And if they can praise you, what about us? May we remember that every day is a day of thanks again. So let us glorify the Lord. This we ask and pray for in his precious name. Let the saints all say, Amen.